0: Good morning 360 family. As Rob was saying, we continue our conversation about dreaming. And if you are here for the first time, as Rob said, boy, what a perfect time that to come in because you'll really get our heart kind of where we're going. I'll remind you next week, uh, is our 10 year anniversary. And so we, um, uh, have, uh, or we're going to celebrate that. Uh, many church plants as, as many startup restaurants and businesses, um, they don't make it, uh, in the first one or two years. And it's, uh, so we celebrate the, the fact that God has not only allowed us to so, so called make it, uh, but we, God is just doing some amazing things. Uh, in the early part of our church, uh, there were days that I just wanted to throw in the towel and my wife said, no, let's, you know, keep going. And there were days where she wanted to throw in the towel. I said, no, come on, let's keep going. And miraculously, we never had a throw in the towel day at the same day. Otherwise, we probably wouldn't be here. But we're, we're so grateful to God for what He's done over the years. Not only are we going to celebrate that next uh, week, and, um, but we're going to, as many of you know, going to look ahead for 10 years and say, where, where is God leading us? So, so as many of you know, for the last six months or so, we've had a vision advisory team in our church, along with our staff, about 12, 13 of us. And we really prayed a lot and say, God, what is the asset that we have to give to our community, to give to ourselves, to give to our, uh, country and around the world? And we're gonna, we're gonna talk more about that next week. And I've been trying to kinda drip it in as we go, so there's not just a massive, moment and like, well, that's not that big of a deal. Uh and so um today I, I was telling the first service I was there uh, uh over there worshiping and there's sometimes I you know when you're going to undertake things uh of a large nature there they're it's mixed with exhilaration and uh and fear and concern. Uh it doesn't matter what, what you're doing. And so there have been times where I'm like, man Are our people in our church are they are they ready to amp it up beyond that that Sunday morning uh that feel and this this morning I just got this this really deep assurance, I believe, from God and this wave of confidence. Like I just believe that our church and the people in our church are so willing to go beyond that. I'm, I'm sure that's not everybody. And i just say that, you know, if you're new and man, you're just, you're, it's, uh, it's a big deal for you to be here on Sunday morning. God loves you. And, uh, and that's awesome. Uh, we all start somewhere, but for the majority of our church, as I, you know, get to know more and more of you, I just have this sense from you that I just don't want to have a, I don't want to be that Sunday morning experienced Christian. I don't want that to be my experience here on earth. And so I'm just handing that fear back to the, to the enemy and he can take a hike because I'm going to roll in the confidence that our church is, is going to do great things and that we are wanting to go way beyond just, uh, I want to come to church and sing good music and hear preaching and get to know the Bible a little bit more. Those are all well and good, but I want to do something more. And the more people I talk to, that's the spirit that I'm getting. So way to go. You encourage me. God's encouraging me. So I'm going to just kick the, the concern and the fear through the, the goalpost, and, uh, so, and uh, we're going to go together. I joked with someone about, hey, maybe we should serve Kool-Aid like on our 10th year anniversary, but... I think, <laughs> probably not a good joke, Steve. Probably, probably not a good one. You know, I just kind of got a little. The Kool Aid. <laughs> I thought I would kind of recap this morning, uh, so we're going to serve it today. Holy Ushers, uh-huh. come forward. No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> Some people are like so freaked out. I'm like, hey, it's not like we're going to, you know, do anything crazy. Um, so I, I kind of want to bring you up the snuff of, and, and bring you up the date of where we're at. Uh, and for those of you that are new, these are the things that we're talking about and the direction that we're heading. So I put a list together. These are This is kind of what we've hit on over the last few weeks. We're not overhauling who we are. Uh, we're really capitalizing on the thing, the asset that God has given to us. And that asset is really a small circle culture. For the sake of those that are new, let me just take 60 seconds and kind of break down what, what we mean by that. In a typical church culture, we stop with a group, whether that's a Bible study, a small group, a Sunday school classroom, There's a lot of variation of that. But we have experienced over these years this level of depth relationally And transformation, like we've never seen in our group experiences, to go beyond the group. We have plenty of groups. We have 35 or so small groups in our church and growing. But we believe that there are means to an end, and that end is to to reach transformation, to become more like Jesus. And what we're seeing is a greater shot at doing that, at becoming more like Christ, and seeing that transformation when we break down to what we call a small circle we we say those that verbiage because it's it's part of our logo big circle us together mid circle and a small group, and small circle one to one that one to one culture does so much that it that it is um, again in in more than thirty five years of ministry it is uh, i 'm seeing more transformation at a deeper and long lasting level because now you 're talking in in a in a way that You can't get to in a group. I'm in a wonderful men's group. We're, we're transparent as a group can be. But my disciple was sitting over here today. I've got another one sitting in the room and we, we get to a level in our conversations that it doesn't mean we're throwing all our dirty laundry out, but we get to a level of our conversations and our friendship and our, and, and the things that we talk about way beyond what a group could ever do. And so we believe that's an asset as we're learning from other churches about planting churches that plant churches. We're learning about international ministry. We're learning about local outreach from other churches. We believe that this is so rare. And that if you don't know much about Christianity in the U.S., this is very rare that you get to this level of relationship in churches in the American culture, usually because it's we talked about one week, the industrial revolution, things move fast, get more widgets made in a more you know, faster pace. But overall, we're beginning to suffer the consequences of those things. We're seeing that and that the divorce rate is not uh, too much different in the church than it is in the, in the secular world. Um, the, um, what men look at, I'm being sensitive because we have kids in the room, what men look at is about the same uh, on an immoral side as it is in the world. It's not much different. So somewhere, some along uh, along the line, we have to say, wait a minute, this group setting that we're, we're, uh, we're operating in, it's not producing the life change or the relational depth That I believe that Christ intended for his church. I'll remind you that 93% of American men have no best friend. I have sat across the table from many of them when they're going through a crisis. Who is walking with you? No one is the answer nearly every single time. We must change the trajectory of that in the church. If Christ's people are not in, in that route, then who else is going to be in that route? So we believe that we have this asset. It's not one single thing, as you'll see next week. It's not one big ta-da moment. It's, it's a multi-layers of things. I've said over and over, I'll say it again today, that I, we've really worked hard to say this vision, there's a place for everybody some some places may be really intense i'm going to speak about some of those today some may be even dangerous some might, some might be like an entry level but we assure you that there is a place our desire is that this is not you know uh some echelon of super christians that this vision is for it really is a place for everyone The task that we have in front of us will take more than a generation in order to accomplish. I will not see the completion of this vision in my lifetime unless I keep eating kale and live to 500 years. And then perhaps (laughs) maybe uh, that will happen. We understand from last week that Christianity in the U.S. is changing. In other words, every single mainline denomination is in a, a steep decline. But on the uprise, significantly are churches like ours that are non-denominational. Then we might celebrate that fact, but it's also a word of caution to understand that what the mainland denominations did very well was structure church planting and Christian education, etc. With with non-denominational churches... They can be kind of loose at times, and it's all about Sunday morning and those types of things. We must take that responsibility and say, how do we do discipleship in this new phase? How do we reach the community? How do we plant churches? How do we uh, raise up leaders who will be church planters? How will we do all those things? We'll, We'll speak about that. And we have found that there is just this desperate need of the small circle culture. I sat this week with people from other states in this country. I sat this week face to face with those from other countries around the world. And they all have the same desperate need for a small circle, one to one relational depth. And I'll tell you why. It's not an America it's not limited to an American phenomena. It's a human phenomenon because God has created us with a blueprint, a design that we need that level of relationship. That's why Jesus said, man, I'm praying for those who will believe in the future that they will experience this, this oneness, this relational depth, Father, as you and I have, because that's what we're wired to do. And when we're not, when we're, uh, we don't experience it at that level, then we try to find it in other levels. And whether you're a man or you are a woman, You need other people in your life other than your spouse, other people in your life that will go that deep, and it's absolutely life-changing. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about, and I totally get that. I totally respect that. But I would say, man, hang in there. If you're just coming in, maybe you're new to Christianity. Maybe all you've had is a church morning, a Sunday morning experience. Maybe you've just had a group experience and you never reached that. Man, I can't urge you. I had a line of people asking me about one-to-one discipleship after the first service. Thrilling. Because God loves you at every stage and He's always trying to nudge you to that, that different stage. All these things today, Uh, will, will, can absolutely happen, but there is, as we would say, a secret sauce. There is a, there is a key ingredient that if this ingredient is not there, then all is lost. Uh, sports teams understand what this is. Orchestras understand what, what this is. Businesses understand what, what what we're going to talk about. And that secret sauce is the power of together. In other words, you know my background is in music. You could have five musicians: one's playing the bass, one's playing the keyboard, one's uh, you know uh, playing the uh, saxophone, one's playing the electric guitar, whatever. And everybody can be in, in sync. But if one guy is playing in another key, it's an absolute disaster. In other words, there is this power of doing things together. Many of you know the the the. Um, uh, you know, the analogies of the horse, you know, the horses pulling weights of so one horse can pull a ton of weight Then you would think. Well, two horses can pull two tons of weight, but actually it can pull two horses can pull more than two, two tons of weight and three. It just keeps becoming exponentially higher. Uh, Rob uh, Chestnut is really into aerospace. And so he's, he's always coming at me with these cool facts. The Saturn five, for example, has three, had three million working parts. If 99.9% of those 3 million parts were working, it would be a disaster. Because 0.1% of 3 million means that there were 3,000 parts that weren't working. So anybody that's working there is a, you know, a technician and there was liftoff. Nobody's going to give anybody a high five and say, hey, perfect. Only 3,000 parts are not working. The thing is going to crash. That's why today I'm going to amp up the phrase that not only does everybody have a place, but everybody matters. This is what Paul was getting at in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He's not just saying, hey, you you got a place, but he's saying, man, your part matters. He likens the church to the body of Christ, an incredibly articulate picture of who we are. See, when we come to Christ, many things happen at that moment. We become a child of God. We become destined for heaven. We become sealed for eternity. We become an ambassador for Christ. We become a warrior for the God of heaven. But we also become instantly plunged in what's called the body of Christ. And if you read this chapter, Paul is saying everybody matters. The ear matters. The nose matters. The mouth matters. The hand matters. The foot matters. And the foot can't say to the hand, I don't need you because every part not only has a place, but every part matters. Watch. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ. Notice that he doesn't say some of you are the body of Christ. He just matter of factly saying, You are, whether you like it, whether you know it, whether you want it, you are the body of Christ and each one of you, not some of you, not most of you, but each one of you is a part of it. So as a musician, this, this is so key because man, there is nothing more frustrating than playing with a, with a musician That is out of, that is out of sync with the other. My, my nephew, uh, used to play the drums. And when he was like 13 or 14, we threw him up in the worship band to see how he was, you know, how he would do. And a young drummer, they get tired, and the more tired they get, the slower they get. So, you know, it was like the song we're singing this morning. And the whole band is like getting and like, it just fell out of sync. So I thought we'd just have fun today. Uh, first of all, I want you to turn to somebody near you and look them right in the eye and say, you matter. Go for it. All right. Now let's amp it up. I want you to turn to that same person and say, even you matter. See how that feels? That's not right. So we're going to do a little experiment. We're going to call this section one, section two, section three, section four. All right? We're going to participate. Put your stuff down. I'm going to have you clap. All right. What's your section? Just testing. All right. So I'm going to start with section one. And section three. You just follow my lead. We're gonna clap because you're gonna go clunk, clunk, plump, plump. Nah, nah, like that. Here we go. Okay, here we go. You're gonna get in. Keep it going. You're gonna start. Here we go. Dun dun up. Keep it going now. Here we go. Listen carefully. Donna Ana ana. Nice. Listen to that. Yes. All right, here we go. You stop. You keep it going. Here we go. Donna, Anna, Anna. Donna, Good. You stop for a second. Anna, Anna. They were so amazed here. They are like, your performance, number one, they're so stunning. You see, there can be synchronization, even in large crowds. But everybody matters. Today we're going to look at a person that I would call a bothered visionary. His name is Nehemiah. So if you want to turn there with me, uh, p- please do. If you're new to the Bible and you've brought one, Nehemiah is a little bit hard to find. Don't ever be embarrassed by that. There's sometimes like you know somebody says, Turn to Obadiah, I'm like, oh boy, I know it's somewhere. You know, and then but you're like, you're acting like a pro, you know. Oh yeah, Obadiah and you're like really got is Isaiah there, but you're not gonna tell anybody, you know, I'm just gonna follow. <laughs> hey, look in the new, look in the uh the table of contents. If you're in the in the book of Psalms then you go a little bit more to the left, uh you'll find Esther and then you'll find Nehemiah if you're if you find first and second Samuel and first and second Kings and first and second chronicles You go a little bit, you know, a little bit to the right, you'll see Ezra and Nehemiah. It's it's nestled in there. And if you don't, if you have a phone, you're good to go. You just tap, uh, you know, Nehemiah. And and so let me set it up here. Last week we talked about being bothered. It is one of my prayers for us. Listen, I get it. I'm an American. I'm inundated by politics right now, inundated by commercialism. Inundated by busyness, inundated by my kids' homework, inundated by schedules. Some of you students are inundated by assignments, your love life, a job, sports. We're inundated people. And I think what that can do is begin to erode our botherness, our (laughs) botherness. In other words, the things that bother God, they must bother us, but they can become just kind of edged out by being inundated by so much in our life. I get it. I'm a, I'm a human being just like you. I'm no I'm more superhuman than anybody sitting in this room, right? Nehemiah was bothered. The, the, the book opens by that. He's an exile. He's been taken away from his homeland. You, many of you know the story. Uh, the reason that, they, that God had to take His people out of the homeland Jer- Jerusalem is the nation of Israel. Because they just couldn't get in rhythm with God. And finally he said, man, i gotta, I got to take you guys out to teach you a lesson. It wasn't just that a nation was moved. It was the reputation of God's people. It's what it stood for. The exile broadcasted to the world. We are out of rhythm with God. And if you don't think that bothered God, you don't know the God of the Scripture. It bothers us. It bothers God when we are out of rhythm. Not because he's angry, because there is such a love uh, that is deeper than we could ever imagine. And he will never, ever give up. And he never gave up on his people, even though he moved them uh, out and put them in basically a timeout. Word came to Nehemiah and said that the city of Jerusalem... The walls around it, which represented the protection of the people and the reputation of God, have now been destroyed, and they're now burned, and they're decimated. And Nehemiah became bothered. Listen, if you're, I'm going to say it again, if we're not, if you individually are not bothered, you won't be excited about what God is going to do. If you're not bothered that your friends and your family are without Christ, most likely you will not share the gospel with them. It does not begin with knowledge. It begins our, our, our trek to to speak of Christ. It begins with us having the knowledge and then being bothered to picture our friends and our family, the people that we know, and an eternity away from God. And sometimes that requires of us to stop the madness around us to say, wow, this really matters. And I'm bothered because God is bothered. God says, I want for everybody to, to repent, to change around, to come to me. I want everybody. I, if there were 99 sheep and there were just one, I'm so bothered. So when we become bothered about the things that bother God, guess what happens? We get in rhythm with God. And so Nehemiah was bothered for his people, and it's a really, really tough question because it takes a high stratosphere level of thinking. Are we bothered for the reputation of the church in America? Because in every sitcom, it is the church is never positioned positively. In every talk show, it's never positioned as something that would be inviting to people but see, this is the church of Jesus that I love and that you love and that Christ love and, the, and loves and the, the reputation of what it looks like. That is not just loud music and coffee bars because the world has louder and better music and better coffee bars. That is not something that we have to offer that's an asset to a world that does it better than we do. What we must offer to them is real relationships, transformation, because when they're caught up in their brokenness and they've tried and tried and tried and tried, we have something to give them, to share with them about the power of Christ, that life change can happen. Can we not get beyond this Sunday morning veneer of entertainment? I'm bothered by that, and I hope that you are. But I'm not just bothered by it to be angry. I'm bothered by it enough to let's do something about it. And that's what happened to Nehemiah. And Manny became broken. He was a, actually a high-level government position that he had. With He was close to the king. And the king noticed that he was bothered. And he began this dialogue. And I want you to look at the stunning ask of Nehemiah. You see, when the deeper you're bothered, the bigger you ask. If you're just mildly, mildly bothered, probably a mild ask. But man, when you're bothered like a Martin Luther, you're going to say, God, I'm ready to wreck this train, man. I'm ready to change the, the entire landscape because he was so deeply bothered. We pick it up in Nehemiah chapter 2. And verse four and we 're going to hover here the the whole morning right in this book the king now he 's writing in first person it 's kind of odd sometimes in the in the Bible you don 't see that, but Nehemiah is writing in first person, and he says the king said to me, What is it that you want because if you read the first three chapter first three verses there, the king notices he 's really uh, you know uh uh, broken down and bothered, and he's, you know, he says, I, "I really want to ask you something." Now, keep in mind, this is a guy who's been elevated to a high-level government position, but he's he's in exile. He doesn't even belong to their country. So, to ask a king for something big is a is a really big deal. And then he begins. Before he asks, he's standing right there in the king, in front of the king. The king says, "What what is it that you want?" And before he opens his mouth, he prays. That is so cool. He doesn't go into a prayer closet. It's another proof that, man, right on the spot, right before I say, oh, let me tell you what I want. Let me tell you what I'm asking for. It was a quick, oh, dear God, help me right now. I'm bothered for what you're bothered about. I'm broken for what you're broken about, God. And he must have just said this really quick prayer. Otherwise, it would have been weird if he just stood there and prayed for an hour. So I think it's really quick when the king said, hey, what do you want? And he said, then I prayed to the God of heaven, and then I answered the king. Now watch what he asks for. I find this stunning. If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city of Judah, where my fathers are buried so I can rebuild it. Now, he didn't say, I really miss home. If I could just have like a two-week hiatus and just kind of go over there, you know, taste, you know, the, uh, the the falafel, the, you know, the tabouli, then, man, I just really miss that. And if I could, man, I'd be really rejuvenated, and then I'll, I'll be right back. He doesn't even say, hey, could I just go over like for a three-month sabbatical? He says, can I go over and rebuild the entire city? So I, I'm looking around the room. To some of the, I see builders in the room, uh, people that, you know, that's your industry. And so I'm like, that is not an easy ask, would you agree? But he doesn't stop there. Let me go over and rebuild it. And then if you look in verse 7, he swings for the fences. And he says, I also said to the king, if it pleases the king... May I have some letters of reference? May I have letters to the governors of Trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me a safe conduct until I reach Judah? Probably a reasonable request. Otherwise, who would have known that's him? But watch what he says next, verse 8. And may I have a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, the lumberyard of Asaph, you could say. So that he will give me timber to make the beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple for the city wall and for the residents that I will occupy the city that you took me out of as enemy troops. I'm asking that not only will you let me go and build a city, but I'm asking if you'll pay for it. Now, there's everything in me right now that's disciplining myself not to say a political joke. But uh, at any rate... Who does this? Who asked for this? I'll tell you who asked for it. A bothered visionary. That's who would come to a king and say, King, I I ain't got no money. All I got is these traveling shoes. And if you will let me go. And by the way, could I get some letters of reference? So, you know, no one attacks me and they let me through. And then will you pay for it? Will you bring me the lumber? Will you give me a letter to the lumber yard so that they'll give me the lumber to pay for the place, not only so I can go, and then he says, to the city that I will occupy. I'm not coming back. That's a big ask. Because he had a picture in his mind of what could be. Then watch what happens. You see, (laughs) when you get in rhythm with the heart of God, God will answer beyond what you ask. Now watch this. Put your seatbelt on. In verse 8 at the end, he says, and because of the gracious hand of my God was upon me. He begins and he ends with God. Notice that he doesn't say, well, because uh, the king was such a swell guy. That he said yes to all these things. He gives the credit to God because he's umbilically tied to him and in the rhythm of his heart. And because of the gracious hand of my God was upon me, the king granted every one of my requests. Verse nine. So I went through the governors of Trans Euphrates, and they gave me the king's letter. And the king also sent army officers and a cavalry with me. Do you see how God rolls? I asked for lumber. He gave me an army. Why? Because the thing that he was, that Nehemiah was bothered about, God was bothered about. God is answering some prayer right now that is way beyond my comprehension. And I'm going to share some of those things with you. But answering because... I believe that he cares for his church. And I believe that he wants us to grow deeper and have more transformation than even we want it. And when you begin to ask in alignment with that, do you think for a second that God's like, I don't know. You know, my church, that's all right. Of course not. He's going to say, man, I, I really want that. So watch. You know those movies that they show you the end of the movie first And then they, then they go back to the beginning and they start filling it in. I hate those movies, to be honest with you. I'm like, are we, is it what, you know, I feel like I'm confused the entire movie. Like, are we now real time or, you know, back, you know, all all that stuff, but we're going to do that just to frustrate you a little bit. So it's because I think the thing that drives visionaries is that they can picture things in the future of what they could be. Martin Luther King, I have a dream. And he just didn't say "I just have a dream. I have a dream that my children can go to the same schools that my children would have friends of uh, uh with with white uh, children that my he began to lay it out. I have a dream, and that's what drove him. He was both bothered and he was a visionary. He had a true picture, and I believe that to a certain degree and i'm I'm really I'm putting myself right with you that to a certain degree our vision of what could be has been numbed. It's been numbed by media. It's been numbed by the popularity of how churches are beginning to be. And there's some times where you think, I don't know, I don't think we can make a difference. Don't ever don't ever kid yourself. I believe that we can make a difference, but you have to be bothered and you have to be able to very much see what it could be. So at the end of the book, if you turn to uh, Nehemiah 12, if you're tracking on your device or in your Bible, this is what it looked like at the end. They finished the, they finished the wall, building this entire city wall in 52 days. All right, let's just be honest. You can't get a permit for 50, in 52 days, right? <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> no offense to the county people here. It's, it's the right thing. We need, we need permits and all that. But you know, they obviously didn't have permits back then or something. But they got it done in 52 days. And when they finished, they started saying to, their, to the people of God, come, we're going to have a worship service. And they had, watch, uh, verse 27, Nehemiah 12. After the wall had been done in, in 50, built in 52 days, at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, the Levites were sought out because they were the musicians, the priests. The Levites were sought out from where they lived. Come on back. And they were brought to Jerusalem to celebrate joyfully the dedications with songs of thanksgiving with the music of cymbals and harps and lyres and flutes and electric guitars and harmonicas and banjos and mandolins and keyboards. I mean, they were just like, man, this is going to be a rocking time. And they said, not only are we just trying to have a worship service, we are saying to the world, we are back in rhythm with God. This was the picture that, Jer- that Nehemiah had burned in his, in his mind, like, it could be that again. And it became that. Verse 28, the singers were also brought together. And he said, I assigned two large choirs to give thanks. When you read the rest of the chapter, it's really cool because he tells, hey, one choir go this way on top of the wall and another go this way. And man, as the worship service was going, man, they're just the whole city was being surrounded by these musicians and singing and worship. Can you imagine And on that day, verse 43, they offered great sacrifices, rejoicing because God had given them great joy. And the women and the children and the teenagers and the young adults and the old men and the old women, everybody jumped in and they pitched in. And it became a day where they said to the world, we're back. We're back. I dream of a time in this country where the church has a voice again to say we're back, and we're not just the brunt of jokes on sitcoms. Yeah. Because we can come alive. You know, we're right in the middle of the World Series these days. Still rooting for the Cubs. <laughs> Sorry for <laughs> leaving. I find baseball an interesting sport. You know, they, first of all, they spit a lot. <laughs> I don't know why it is. Have you noticed that? <laughs> They spit a lot. I, I, there's no other sport they spit so much. I mean, they got sunflower seeds and, the you know, tobacco, big wads of gum and everything. I'm like, oh, I wonder, I, we got some baseball players, you know, in the room and I'm like, hey, how come they, I'd have to ask you, man. How, I don't know why they spit a lot, but anyway, cause I was thinking about, you know, like, uh, you know, like imagine like the PGA, the masters, you know, the guys getting ready to putt and like, well, just one thing, you know, and then he, and they putt. Now that would be cool. See, that would be awesome, right? <laughs> Football players, they don't spit because it's going to hit that rim thing and it's going to drip down the shirt. I mean, there's some reason. But, you know, baseball is another funny thing to me that, you know, they act like, you know, they're pretty relaxed, you know, throughout the entire game. Like, hey, hey, way to go, you know, uh, home run. But then when they finally win the whole thing, It goes nuts. Do you do you know what I'm talking about? Like all of a sudden, like I didn't I didn't see any of this energy like all season, but when the final pitch is like you know, and then they went. I brought a picture of it. This is see this is what Nehemiah was like. Man, I picture this this celebration. This kind of goes like this. Watch it. Here they come. The pitcher following the game, like the guy, the guys got two tons of weight on the poor guy in the bottom. I don't know, man. I love to see that because it's the picture of together. Here's the, here's my heart. I want you to know my heart. When we reach and we begin to live out this vision, it won't be the thing that we're doing. It's that we're doing it together that will be the excitement. We had a, we had one of our small groups, one of our ladies groups run a 5k yesterday. And uh and they were so excited, but they weren't excited about, "Yeah, I get to run a 5k." They were so excited about doing it together. I brought I brought some pictures. This is our group. There's the 360 drive. <laughs> and then here they are in action running down all together, and then here they are at the finish line. I I I challenge you to ask any one of them. Was it that you ran the 5K or was it that you ran the 5K together? There's some really exciting things happening. And others are getting in the game. And like, oh, that's cool. We had 30 people here Thursday night to check out this initiative in Cambodia. We had 20 people sign up to be missionaries to our children right across the hall. We have 20 other people that are signed up Thursday to find about how they can impact uh, and uh, survivors of human trafficking. Something's happening here, and it's really, really cool. And the excitement of seeing you guys get involved at a level that's really making an impact, that's as exciting for me as what's actually happening. You get it? But see, that's the end picture. And the game that we saw where the baseball players are jumping up and down, that's the end picture. And we all want that. But there are other pictures that are leading, that lead up to that, that are challenging. And that's kind of where I want to land on today. We all want the victory together. We all want to finish the line, the 5k together. But it takes training. It takes hard work. It takes getting ready. And there's a couple things I just want to throw out to you because I believe that in order to win together, in order to stand on the walls of Jerusalem and, and worship together, there are some things that are going to be tough. And so I'm going to use this metaphor as a picture and uh, because it's such a familiar, familiar uh, image in our mind. So, you know, when you take a, a, a photo, you can either do it this way, vertically, or you can do it this way, horizontally. In the photography world... What is it's vertical, we call this portrait. And when we turn it to the side, it's called landscape. So my first challenge to you, and I know that when I challenge, everybody's going, okay, I got it. But when it's your turn, what I'm about to say is very difficult. I saw, um, I listened to uh, John Maxwell this past summer. He was at the leadership, uh, Global Leadership Summit. And he said, anything of great value is always uphill it takes work, it takes hard work, it takes, you know uh, working through things, etc. Everything of value your marriage is a's got just a, nobody gets in an argument, nobody's, it, it takes work to work in a marriage. We all know that for those of us that have been married for a while. Everything of great value is uphill. Buddy said, but we have downhill habits. And our greatest downhill habit is selfishness, right? We want it our way, we get offended, etc. I'm going to call that portrait. In order to celebrate this dream together, we're going to have to turn our hearts from portrait to landscape. You see, when, when Nehemiah put the call out to his people, they were busy. They had lives. They had things to do. But he comes to them, Nehemiah chapter 2 verse 17, He comes to them, and he said to them, you see the trouble that we're in. This is what I did last week to you. Now, this is massive trouble. This is not their personal finances. This is not their personal jobs. Or, But you see that God's people are in trouble. What he's trying to say is, guys, look at landscape for a minute. Broaden your vision. Christianity in the U.S. is not only under attack, We're losing because of ourselves at times. So he said, these things are bothering you. See the trouble that we are in Jerusalem lies in, in ruins. It's gates have been burned with fire and watch. He said, come, let us rebuild. Let's do it together. Let's do it together. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in gray. Disgrace. Nehemiah says, I also told them about the gracious hand of my God upon me, and that man, I got free lumber, I got Calvary, what the king did, and gave me letters and what he said to me. And they replied, let us start rebuilding. And so they began this good work. You see, they and you, you fold into the next chapter. It's quite frankly, it's one of those boring chapters. It's got a bunch of names, just a long list of names. But what the cool thing is with that, in that next chapter is you'll see this name, and it says, and next to him was so-and-so. And next to him was so-and-so. And next to him, and next to him, and next to him, and next to him. They were thinking in a landscape view. You see, <clears throat> practically in the church, everybody's got a great idea. And I get that. Nobody comes to me and has really, really bad ideas. Hey, let's go to the beach and throw rocks in the ocean. Hey, great ministry. No, you know, nobody's coming to me with those ideas, right? Let, let's go to, you know, out and, and shoot animals and that, that'd be a great ministry. Nobody's coming with those ideas. They're great ideas. Hey, let's do more of this. 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 And they're all good ideas. But when we go to celebrate together, we say, man, we got to get on the same page we have to say hey, let's there's some things we're going to say hey, we're going to pray about that but we're probably not going to do it there's some things that we're going to say man that's probably not how we're going to operate that's like you know we're going to like let's say let's throw a block party okay we we may. that's going to take a lot of energy it takes away from the things that we really want whatever that thing may be and everybody comes with you know and we say hey, think more like this think more landscape but in that moment when your eye did fly guess what happens to all of us <laughs> portrait selfie Kind of upset. You see, what I don't see is that this individualism in this in in this operation. I don't see any of the builders saying, "You know what? I know you're using this size brick, but you know where I come from. You know the church I used to go. We use this size, this size brick." Ouch! Stepping on toes. And I'm gonna. I'd like to put it like this. And I'd like, you know, my part of the wall. I'd like to kind of angle out in like this French artisan type way. You know what I'm talking about? And I know we're making a wall about 30 feet high, but, you know, man, I got a really tall uncle, and I'd like to make it about 35 feet high. Nobody's saying that. In other words, the reason that they were able to celebrate in Nehemiah 12 is because everybody said, hey, why don't we do it this way? See, I want to become a multiplying church. I want to become a church that's not just about us. And so that means we have to multiply at different levels before we can go multiply in the community. That means that, hey, more people in exchange, multiplying disciples to make disciple makers. It might mean that we multiply more of our act groups. And I know, man, when it, when we get in a small group, it's like, this is my small group. I love my small group. There's no way I'm, I'm going to multiply, right? I get it. I know I'm really stepping on toes. Ouch. There's a box in there that says, I hate Steve. You just drop your notes right in there. It's cool. My wife, about a year ago, gave birth to uh, an act group, another act group. In other words, they had a, just a key f- couple in their group. For heaven's sakes, they were meeting at their home. They had a beautiful home. And God moved and said, hey, you know what? We're going we're gonna to turn from portrait to landscape. We're going to let you guys go and start your own group. It was tough. Those moments are tough because, like, oh, man, it's our group. And now we don't have a place to meet. How are we going to do that? And what's happened is that their group, and my wife's group has gotten so strong and amazing. And this other group is busting out of the seams. See, that's landscape thinking. And now she comes and says, I want three groups to come out of this current group. And everybody is jazzed. That's landscape thinking. And I know that's tough. See, if we're going to become this, this celebrating this, this thing together, man, there's, th- I know I'm saying it. I know you're hearing me, but when it comes to your, your turn, you'll understand, ah man, the turn at the landscape is really tough. I get it. But in order to celebrate together, these are the hard pictures. Here's the second thing I would say. This thing is a picture album. It's not a, it's not a Snapchat. For those of you who know Snapchat, (laughs) it's not a single picture. It's an album. What do I mean by that? You see, in an album, there are tough pictures. There are difficult pictures that you have in every album. I look back in my life, I'm like, oh man, first grade, I was, I was terribly sick. Uh, and just had a, had a thing going on, I won't get into the details, but had, and I look at those pictures, I'm really pale. But that's part of my whole album. It's not just a single shot. Some of you are sitting in this, this room and you're divorced and you think, I'm out. Cause see, that's the only picture I live by. And God would say, that's, that's one picture in your album. Don't give up on yourself. I had an abortion. That's one picture. God loves you. You matter. You matter. God doesn't give up on you. And I think that's true for a church. Sometimes we blow it, man. Sometimes like we make a decision like, ah, wasn't it good? Let's experiment with something. Okay, great. But, you know, what happens sometimes in the church is that, you know, see ya, right? That's part of the problem. But in any photo album, we have bad photos. Does, does anybody take photos like this? i got so many photos like this. <laughs> I don't know how it happens. You know, here's a picture of my house, and I get my finger. I, I don't know how that happens. You know, I was up in North Carolina a couple of weeks ago. I was, we, you know I'm I'm a I, people say hey what's your diet I'm a cheating vegan uh that's how I look at it. I, I you know I have this vegan diet but it it tastes so much better when you shouldn't eat it and so, and you do so I had chicken and waffles and I'm not kidding, after after having chicken for the first time in my life, and actually ate at a Waffle House at, at, and that's been decades and even back then I didn't even remember I ate at a Waffle House. That's a whole other story. But um so I anyway, so after one of these really greasy southern mills, you know, uh the guy I was with, uh Rob Chestnut, you know him well. Um this was he said, Man, I gotta go to the pharmacy. And uh so <laughs> <laughs> it is like banging headache after eating a lot of greasy food so uh, anyway all of us have pictures like this in our life and i'm telling you it will happen in this vision what will you do what will you do when it's like ah oh, man we tried that and it didn't work please don't say i'm out of here because that pattern i mean there're times to leave a church if there's immorality in leadership if there's financial mishandling if there's doctrinal craziness and all those things but for the most part, it's not time to say, hey, I'm out of here. Watch this. You would like to read Nehemiah and say, oh man, the king just gave him all these things and all, all these wonderful things happened. But they had enemies. Look at the scripture verse in uh, Nehemiah chapter 2 verse 10. When Sanballat, these are the bad guys, Sanballat, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite official, heard about this, this, this dream, they were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. May I say something to you very serious? The enemy will not be happy about this dream. Because it includes the transformation of God's people. And nobody moved. Here's the final thing I want to say to you. You know what happens when you take a really great picture? What do you want to do? Share it. Share it. You see, the cool thing that's happening, man, is that that when something great happens, you're like, oh, man, I want to share what God is doing. I, I don't want to be known as like, oh, man, go to this church because Sunday morning is so great or blah, blah, blah. I'm going to say, man, I, I want to hear people sharing pictures. Man, go. I want to tell you about what's happening because I'm getting to play at a level that I've never got to play at before. I'm actually making an impact on people. Whether it's a four year old or it's around the world in Asia. Just amazing. So watch when at the end of this worship service in Nehemiah chapter 12, verse 43, the sound of Jerusalem could be heard far away. That is the passion. That is the picture in my mind that the church could be heard far away, not only in this city, but this country and around the world. Let me share a few things with you that are happening. So. What's happening now, so our one to one discipleship track, which I can't encourage you enough to, to be part of. Uh, and if if you're not in it, this may be like, oh I'm not sure what that is, and you may not get excited about. It. But it's really it has really borne a lot of fruit and a lot of transformation, et cetera. And if you don't know the landscape of the church culture in America, you'll you won't know that that one to one discipleship is nearly extinct. It's just it's the Paul Timothy uh you know, operation is, uh, is almost not there. So, we begin to share this. So I, I met a couple of pastors, have gotten, uh, to know them. One of these guys I want to share with you, this is Gil, Michelle, and his, his wife, Marquito. They live in Indiana. Uh, he's ch- uh, planted a church. The name of the church is That Church Downtown. <laughs> we met back in in January he is uh we just there's just a spirit connection that we have uh our spirits have connected totally interested in exchange and they're beginning to to uh open the books etc but here's the cool thing about it um, one of the guys that I'm in exchange with I have set up a meeting and starting this week last week we did a Skype call between Gil and my friend Dave and uh Dave is now going to walk through with Gil, exchange over the Internet for uh, enough weeks to get them going. I sat there in the Skype call. I had, you know, one window Gil and one window Dave. Man, I was like about the same exhilaration I had in the labor room. Almost, almost. Not quite. <laughs> the excitement to see people getting Involved, I'm like, man, you guys do it, you do it. For them to be able, here's another guy I met in uh, in uh, North Carolina on the right. His name is Cam. His beautiful wife there is Tamara, and uh, they're planning a church in Orlando, and they're going through nine months of intensive training as a church plant at the Summit Church in North Carolina. Um, another guy I've gone through exchange with is going to meet with them Friday online. Say, so let me walk you through exchange. Listen. <laughs> It's not just about making disciples and disciple makers in our church. It's also about influencing people. I can't wait until we have 20, 30, 40, 50 of you influencing churches across this country with, with uh, a small circle culture desperate for it. Please, can we start now? I, I, I'm so jazzed, not just by it happening, but I'm so jazzed about seeing our own people get involved. This past week, I sat with um, a pastor, uh, from Cuba. And he and uh, my dear friend Doris was there translating. And there were just times where we had to stop because we were so moved by it. His father is a pastor. He started in 1953. Now, if you know anything about Cuban history, you'll note that they've went through a few changes in, in those numbers of years. And they've operated as an underground church. And we began to talk about that, about the partnership, et cetera, and I showed him the Spanish version of exchange and he said, will you please come? I, I could meet in a province. Their, their country is divided in a province. I could meet in a province and I could have 150 pastors there. And I said, well, would that, would that be, you know, can you get pastors from all over the country? He said, no, we, we wouldn't. It's hard to travel. And that, uh, and they're, you know, as they operate, they're not, Accepted by the government, et cetera, and only those that are registered. I mean, you know how communist countries operate, if you know anything about it. And I said, "Well, what? What if we had a team?" And we, he said, "Can you come and do an eight-hour session, talk for eight hours?" And I said, "I'd rather have a team." <laughs> and can you bring in a team? And we, and I said, maybe we could spend five days there and cover five different provinces, and then we could. Go over the entire country, reaching hundreds of pastors with discipleship because no one has gone in. You see where God can, you see what, these are things that are in the only God can do it. How about some free lumber and a Calvary, you know, <laughs> column? You see what's happening? We spent time with these, with this initiative in Cambodia. I, I, I brought a picture in. It's really, this is, uh, there are two campuses in Cambodia. And, uh, these are, these homes that you see around the peripheral for the most part, they house 20 children each. And they have house parents and moms, house moms and dads and aunties and uncles that live in there. The ratio of the national orphanages are about 20 to 1, 50 to 1, sometimes 100 to 1, they're about 4 to 1 here, 4 or 5 to 1. Um, and they they have children in here. There's six homes in the, in, in this part of the uh, country, and then the other campus has ten homes. That's 320 kids that they're taking care of. They're building a middle school and a high school on this campus. And each of these these children, the the graduation rate in Cambodia is only 20 or 12 percent. They only 12 percent of Cambodian students graduate from high school. These kids, 80 percent. Of the 80% that are graduating from high school, 90% will go to the university, which is very difficult to get in. Here's what's happening. These guys, two guys went over, nothing, had zero money, and they got bothered. And they saw a picture in their mind. And over a number of years, they have two campuses with 320 students who are now In the university, some of them, and now graduating from the university in a country with only 2% Christian population, some of the most key leaders in this country will be passionate Christ followers. Anybody excited about that? We're reaching out with exchange. Right now it costs $85 for the materials, and we don't get a penny from it. We don't take a penny. Therefore, we said, man, every country we go to, we see smartphones, and we see uh, – so as I mentioned to you before, we're creating an app. Uh, the app, it's, if you know anything about apps it's expensive, it's about a $75,000 expenditure. Our church is going to put up 50000 because we believe that's a mission and we're, and we're saying, hey, maybe some of you want to chip in. If that turns you out, turns you off, forget it. We're not, we're, don't worry about that because there are people who are Christ followers like, man, i love to be a part of that. Love to make a difference. So we're raising $25,000 for those of you that want to do that. But listen to me. Anybody want to put $25,000 into changing the world or you want to build a coffee bar? You see what I'm saying? It's a big difference. I, I, so it's rolling off the press now. Here's exchange in the app format that's starting to happen. Somebody came up to me after the service and said, I'm in the phone industry. Instead of how about we um, how about we buy up a bunch of old phones, install the app on it, and then instead of tr- distributing printed materials, which are really hard to do, hey, let's go in with a 100 phones and begin to distribute it that way. See what happens when you include people? It's so neat. It's happening right here and not only around the world, but it's happening in our church. You know, we have some 20-somethings that are getting ready to launch a reach team, which reaches those who don't believe in Christ yet. And you know what their focus is? Game boards, board games. And as soon as I heard they were doing Monopoly, I'm like, I'm out. I'm not doing that. Whatever. Board games because other 20-somethings do board games. So they're going to have a small group of Christians that are going to do board games so that they can build a relationship and small circle relationships with those who don't know Christ so that they can share the gospel. I love millennials, don't you? What a neat idea. We've got a, we've got a, one of our small groups that said, hey, we can reach people with their finances because it's a strain. They're going to do a Dave Ramsey thing here at our church, open it up to the outside world, invite them in, build relationships with them, and then track with them one to one in a small circle relationship after the class is going. You see where the, you see where the boat's floating? (laughs) See, everybody matters in this, in this operation. When I look at this list of things, but here's the, here's the final question I'm going to ask you: Will you be in the group shot? Will you be in the group shot? Because it will be easy to come to a church and man I'm excited about what they're doing. No, I want you I dream for the day I'm excited about what we're doing. I'm part of it. I'm a missionary to a child. I'm a missionary to Asia. I'm a missionary to, uh, to, to millennials. I'm a missionary to Cuba. I'm a, I'm a sharing it. Man, I'm invigorating Christianity in South Bend, Indiana. See, there is a place for everybody. I'm just giving you a taste of what it can be so that we can be a church that's not just a Sunday morning church, but we are Christians who are making a difference in the world. You want to be part of the group shot? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we want to be like Nehemiah, God, bothered visionaries. Not just bothered and cynical, God, but bothered and dreaming. And I know, God, there are people in the room like, wow, don't get it. That's okay. Because you can bring clarity. There's some people that are bothered and want to go right now. And you love us all. Thank you for that. I'm sure some of the wall builders in Nehemiah's day didn't even, didn't fully get what you were doing. But Father, not only does there's a place for everybody, but I pray God that in the heart of every single individual I'm asking big, God, every single individual sitting here in this room, that they'll understand that they matter greatly. Father, we're done with Sunday morning Christianity. We're done with it. We're bothered by it. And I pray for a, a, a grander vision, a bigger picture of what we should be about as Christians. And I pray, God, for a church that will turn their hearts from portrait to landscape view, to have a selflessness, God, and to be able, God, to have a level of togetherness that will cause the world to turn its head. And may this picture, God, of your church be shared in such a way that you're honored and glorified. And, Father, the things that you're doing, only you can do. So, God, like Nehemiah, we're asking you to pave a way And to bring provisions beyond our absolute understanding, Father. And we will be careful to pray before and give you glory and credit at the end. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen.